Well, let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who rescues us. Lord, you are the one who brings us up from the valley of dry bones. You caused us to live again through the power of your death, through the power of your resurrection, through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we are alive today in you. We thank you and we praise you for that reality. And I ask in Jesus' name that through your Holy Spirit you would cause us to hear your word today. Not just to to hear it through our ears, but to receive it into our lives. That we would live a life that brings glory and honor to you. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have called us into a mission. That you've called us into action. We're not to be a church of inaction, but we're to be a church that is living in the action which you uh, want us to live in uh, through the moving of your Holy Spirit into your kingdom. So teach us and guide us and direct us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Today we're beginning a new sermon series. It's called In Action. Not in action, but in action. Uh, We are called to be a people who are in action, a people who are uh, moving and working uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit within our church and within our community. What we will do through the sermon series is we will look at selective passages from the book of Acts. And what I want us to do is I want us to read and to study the book of Acts together as a congregation so that we can see and learn how the Holy Spirit worked, and what the Holy Spirit did in the early church, in the first century church. Then I think it's good for us to compare and to contrast how the church in the book of Acts moved and worked and functioned, and how we're functioning today. So we begin with the reading from Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, beginning with the first Verse. This is Luke, the Apostle Luke, writing, and he wrote in my former book, in my former book, that would be the Gospel of Luke. So Mark wrote the Gospel of Luke and then the Acts of the Apostle. So in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. And this is the command for us. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of My father promised, which you have heard me speak about, and here it is for us. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. But here it is, but you will receive power... When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
Jesus promised the Holy Spirit who dwells in believers by faith in the promise of Jesus. But he gave the Holy Spirit for a purpose. He gave the Holy Spirit for a reason. And that was that we we would be empowered to be witnesses for Jesus, both here and to the ends of the earth. The scope of Jesus' mission is from here to the uttermost parts of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And this is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. There are a number of things that we learn from this passage. There are three things. There's a handout in your bulletin. There are three things that we learn from this passage. The first thing that we learn from this passage is that Jesus is alive. Jesus didn't remain in the grave. Jesus is alive today. And Jesus is alive for you. And Jesus is alive for our community. And Jesus is alive for our world. We serve a risen Savior. And this risen Savior has come to us in the power of the Holy Spirit. C.S. Lewis, writing about Christianity, said that if Christianity is not true, then Christianity is of no value at all. But if Christianity is true, then Christianity is of infinite value. And I would say this, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, Christianity is of no value. But because Jesus is risen from the dead, Christianity is of infinite value. We cannot begin to measure how valuable our faith is. And it's because Christ is risen from the dead. Christianity falls apart if Christ is not raised. If Christ is not raised from death to life, we we should just shut this whole operation down. There's really no point for us to gather. if, If Christ is not raised from the dead, we should call our missionaries home. You see, because Christ is risen, Christianity, our faith, our congregation, our mission is of infinite value to the world. 
There are many people, even within the church, that do not believe in the resurrection. A pastor friend of mine has a brother-in-law who is a Lutheran bishop, a bishop in the ELCA. Uh, The uh, families got together for dinner one evening. My pastor friend and his uh, ELCA bishop brother-in-law were doing dishes. And his brother-in-law, who's the bishop, said, Hey, Mark, what are you preaching on this Sunday? And Mark said, Well, I'm preaching on the feeding of the 5,000. Mark said, Wouldn't it just be amazing to be there and to see how Jesus was able to miraculously multiply the loaves and the fish and to feed the multitudes? His brother-in-law, the ELCA bishop, looked at him and said, You don't really believe that, do you? And he said, Yeah, I do believe it. They began to talk back and forth and discuss different things from Scripture. And then my friend Mark asked his ELCA bishop brother-in-law, well, what about the resurrection? And bishop said, well, that's just a nice story that gives people hope. There are many people in this world that do not believe in the resurrection. What's the point? Why continue our efforts, our ministry, our worship, our mission throughout the world if Jesus is not risen from the dead? Because Christ is raised, Christianity, our faith, our mission is of infinite value. The life of this church is of infinite value. Jesus is alive. Jesus is active. Jesus is on a mission. And the local church is his instrument of mission. After his suffering, Jesus presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. But not only is the resurrection and historical Event It is something for you today. For it's by the death and resurrection of Jesus that you are saved from sin, that you are saved from hell and brought into his eternal kingdom. You would be lost apart from the death and resurrection of Jesus. But through Jesus' work in your life, you've been made alive to God in Christ Jesus. You haven't made yourself alive. You don't have the power or the authority to to make yourself alive to God in Christ Jesus. But this is a gift of God's grace. And apart from this gift of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus, you would remain dead in trespasses and sin. But because of the resurrection of Jesus, you are alive to God in Christ Jesus. And you share in his infinitely valuable mission in this world. Our reading from Acts teaches us the reality of Jesus' resurrection. He's alive. He's active. Not only do we learn from our our reading today that Jesus is, is alive for you, that he is risen from the dead for you and for the world. But Jesus has a plan for you. 
He has a plan for you. He has a plan for this world. He has a plan for all of creation. And that plan is an eternal plan. That plan for you and all believers is is for the permanent replacement of this broken world. That's his plan for all of humanity. The permanent replacement of this broken world. Have you ever replaced something old with something new? How many of you remember the first time you were able to buy a new car? Eventually that new car wasn't so new anymore. The engine started to make some noises. Uh, It lost the, the new car smell long ago. Dents and scratches. The fading of the paint. It's exciting to replace something old with something new and shiny. But even that new and shiny thing that you buy today, one day, it's going to get old. And it's not going to be as exciting or thrilling anymore. It will rust and it will decay and it will break down and it will become a burden in your life. Jesus promises the complete and total replacement of this world with something new that will never perish, spoil, or fade. He's going to replace this old broken down world. This world that's been affected by sin with a new world. A new creation. So Jesus' plan is is to replace this old, broken, sin-infested world with a brand new one. As a pastor, I work with many people who experience the pain, the anguish of living in a broken world. And we all experience the, the pain and the anguish of living in a broken world and we long for something better we long for something new we know that there has to be something better than what we experience in this life and don't get me wrong god has provided in his in his providence in his providence many blessings for us god's providence is beautiful so many beautiful things in this world but there is also in the beauty of this life, pain. Illnesses that will never be healed in this world. Grief that will never go away in this world. Images of past trauma that will never go away in this world. Temptations that will never cease in this world. Relationships that will never mend in this world. But God's plan for you and for all people is the total replacement of this broken world. A new earth is promised. One day the trumpet will sound and Jesus will say, Out with the old and in with the new. 
How does this relate to Jesus' mission? We don't want anybody to miss out on this new earth. We don't want anybody to, re- to miss out on this total replacement plan that he has for us. We want all people to be a part of God's grand plan for us and for all creation. Then they, that is the disciples, gathered around Jesus and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? The disciples longed for the replacement of this old world with a new world. They knew the Messiah was coming. The Old Testament prophets had promised a Messiah who would come and make all things new. They longed for it. The disciples said, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They didn't quite understand it. They were thinking of a king in Jerusalem. That isn't his plan. Verse 7, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. You and I, we don't know the day of Jesus' return when he's coming again to make all things new. But he's invited us to join him in his mission. We don't know when the trumpet will sound. We don't know the day or the hour. But in this present world, we have work to do. We have a mission to accomplish. We're not called to sit around looking into the sky, looking for for Jesus up there. We're called to look down here, to look out there, to see how Jesus is working today within our community, to see how Jesus is on a mission today in our world. Why do you stand there looking into the sky, the angels asked? Why are you looking into the sky? Jesus says, lower your eyes. Look at this world. Look at this community. Jesus said, look, the fields are ripe. The fields are ripe. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So Jesus, point number one, Jesus is alive for you. Point number two, Jesus has a plan for you and all of creation. It's out with the old, in with the new. And then number three, Jesus has a mission for you. Jesus says in Acts 1-8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be what? You will be my witnesses. That is his mission for you and for our church. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus' mission is for you to live as a witness. A witness of what? A witness of Jesus' life. A witness of Jesus' death. And a witness of his resurrection. But more than just a witness of an historical reality, but a witness of how Jesus has been at work in your life. How Jesus has changed you. 
The title of today's sermon is The Scope of Jesus' Mission. How far does Jesus' mission go? To where does Jesus' mission extend? Well, the scriptures say to the ends of the earth. The old King James says to the uttermost parts of the earth. This mission is for here. And this mission is for those who live in the far-flung corners of this planet. I'm amazed by our missionaries. I consider our, our foreign missionaries the Navy SEALs of our ministry. They answer the command of God to go to the ends of the earth, to live in areas that are uncomfortable, places like Chad, Africa. the far-flung corners of this world. They go and they live among a people who have zero knowledge of who Jesus is. They don't know Christ as Savior. They choose to live there and not here for the sole purpose of being a living witness of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for the salvation of all people. You see, our, our global missionaries, they, they get it. Because Jesus is their living Savior, because Jesus has a plan for humanity, they're living in mission today. They, they've gone into places that most of us would never choose to go to if we could choose a, a vacation place. Most of us probably wouldn't choose to go where our missionaries choose to live. No luxury. No air conditioning. No electricity. Roads that are impossible to travel during the rainy seasons. Very difficult to travel during the dry season. So valuable is their faith. So infinitely valuable is their faith that they sacrifice their life here to go to the ends of the earth simply to tell others about Jesus. But I believe that we here in, in our Jerusalem, here in Linwood or wherever you live, each of us need to adopt the mindset of our foreign missionaries. Here in our community, we need to live as missionaries. When we stop living as God's missionary people here, we're no longer an effective presence in our community. Jesus is on a mission. He's on a mission here and over there. But he calls some to go over there. Many of us are called to stay here, but others are called to go over there. I want to let you know that I pray for you. And I want you to join me in praying for our congregation too. Do you want to know what I want you to pray for? Pray that some from our congregation will eventually leave our church. Pray that some will leave Maple Park Church. Not that they will leave the faith, 
or go to a church down the street, pray that some will answer the call of God to leave here, to go there, and to serve as witnesses among peoples who have never heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that some of you will answer the call to go, to be trained and to be sent by us into the mission fields, to live as a witness of the resurrection in the far-flung corners of our world. Some are called to leave Maple Park Church. Some have, have left Maple Park Church to go and to serve as missionaries. Have you been praying? Have you asked the Lord? This is what we need to be praying. Should I stay or should I go? Should I stay or should I go now? How many of you remember 1982? The clash. Should I stay or should I go now? If I go, there will be trouble. But if I stay, it will be double. So come on and let me know. Should I stay or should I go now? That should be our prayer. Related to mission, not related to some woman, but related to mission. Maybe related to some woman, too. That might be a good prayer. Some are called to go and some are called to stay. Most of us are called to stay and be witnesses here, to stay in our home country, to stay in our Jerusalem. But if you're called to go, you're called to be a witness there. And if you're called to stay, you're called to be a witness here. Next part of the sermon is, how can I live as a missionary here? How can I start living as a missionary today? Well, the call is simple, to invite. There was a disciple that met Jesus, and he invited another disciple who hadn't become a disciple yet to come and to see Jesus. So invite your one to know Jesus. This is just a simple thing that we can do as a church to begin living as missionaries here today. I believe our vision statement at Maple Park Church describes an act-style model of disciple-making. And Alyssa, I have an image on the screen. Our vision for Maple Park is that we would be a church that, that is gathered. As you read the book of Acts, you will see that the local churches were gathered together. They were gathered around the fellowship of believers, which was centered around... God's Word. There was worship. There was Bible study. Communities gathered together around God's Word for the purpose of experiencing the Holy Spirit's transforming work in their lives. When we as a community are gathered with one another around God's Word, we begin to experience a powerful transformation in us. We begin to reflect the nature of Jesus to our world. So in Acts, they were a church that was gathered. They would gather. They were being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. But they were also a church that was on the go. Many were added to their number. Many were being saved. Many came to repentance and faith. In Jesus. Bring the image back up. I'm not done with it. <laughs> Alyssa. 
So they were a church that would be gathered and transformed. But they were a church that would go. I want to talk about this image. Within many congregations, churches, they don't plan it. It's not written in their bylaws. There's no documents anywhere, but they begin to build a wall between them and their community. Um, It's just something that naturally happens with groups. Groups become very comfortable with themselves. They become very insulated uh, from outside influences and so forth. They just are, are comfortable with the gather, learning God's word, being transformed by the Holy Spirit, but somehow they begin to build a wall between them and the community. And in order for people to come in, they have to climb over the wall. And we don't want to do that as a church. Staying true to God's word. Staying true to the faith. We want to make sure that we do everything we can to, to have a, an open door. To have a door that's wide open for all people to come and to hear this mission. You notice there's no plan for an open door in that structure. Church, let's always have an open door for people to come and to hear the good news of the gospel. Let's also have an open door so that we're comfortable leaving this place as witnesses so that we can tell the world and bring them in to the fellowship of this community. So the Lord is sending us into a mission. He wants us to go. He wants us to go. So invite your one as a way for you to invite people into this living and active faith. It's simple. There's two cards on the handout inside your bulletin. Simply write the name of one person on that card. Begin to pray and to ask the Lord, who would you have me invite? Write the name of that one person. Actually, I I like to break rules. I wrote three names on my card. You don't have to take this completely literally. But write the name of at least one person on your card. And uh, keep that card with you. One of them says my card. The other one says church card. Write the name of one person. Uh, On both cards. Same name on both cards. You keep one and you give us the other. And actually what I did with my card is I I didn't write the names of the people. I just wrote their first initial. Because God already knows their name. God already knows who they are. So I wrote three names on my card. Same three names on the other card. And the reason I want you to give these cards to us is so that we can create a list through which we will pray. So that we're in this together. We're in this mission together through prayer. Praying for each other's one. Praying for that one person that we want to invite. So that's the plan. It's quite simple. We compile a list of names. Just the first name. Please don't put the last name. 
or the initial of the person. That's it. And we will begin to pray together as a congregation for the one or the two or the three that you want to invite. But you might be asking, who do I invite? Well, invite anyone who doesn't belong to a Bible-based faith community. Anybody who doesn't belong to a Bible-teaching church. Or anyone who doesn't yet trust in Jesus as their Savior. Many people say, well, I don't know anybody that isn't a Christian. I bet if you begin to kind of make a list of all the people that you have interaction with, there is somebody in your life that doesn't yet know Jesus. That you can invite into a relationship with him. Think of friends. Think of relatives. Think of people that you work with. Or people that you used to work with. If you're retired now. Think of your neighbors. Who are the people in your neighborhood that you live around? You have access to people within your community who you can invite. But I would say that there's no need to invite people who already belong to a Bible-believing church. If they already belong to a church, there's no reason to invite them here because they already belong to a, a community of faith. We're not in competition with other churches. We're here to reach those who don't know Jesus as their Savior. Did you know that sometimes I'll invite people to other churches? Went to a garage sale down the street. And there was a lady there and we began to talk. And uh, she said, well, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a pastor and I'm the pastor just down the street here, about a block from here. And she said, oh, it's good to meet you. She said, uh, we went to church before the pandemic. And I said, oh, where'd you go? And she said, oh, we went to the church down the street over here, the other one down there. And I, I said, oh, you haven't been back since? And she said, no. And I said, well, you should probably go back. I'm sure they'd love to see you. It's not about us taking people from other churches to come to our church. I think we should be partners with other Bible-believing churches, not in competition with them. So who do you invite? Anyone who doesn't belong to a church, a Bible-believing faith community, anyone who doesn't get trust in Jesus as Savior. When do I invite? Well, when the Holy Spirit opens the doors. Remember, this is a Spirit-empowered mission. And by prayer and trusting the Holy Spirit, He, and having sensitivity to what He's leading you to do, he, he will tell you and He will open the doors at the right time so that you can invite somebody to know Jesus. When do I invite, or where do I invite them? Well, it really depends upon the person. The people on my list, I, I don't think I would invite them to a worship service yet. The place where I want to invite them is to into my home first. So that I can get to know them. Some people aren't ready to come to a worship service. But they're ready to enter into your home and to enter into your life and for you to build a relationship with them. 
Uh, you may invite them to, maybe they're not ready for a worship service, maybe they would go, go to a, a small group study, Bible study, or uh, maybe to, actually I did invite them to church, I invited them to come to our chili feed on Friday. They wanted to come, but they couldn't because their dog was sick. But they are open to an invitation to a chili fundraiser. But the most important place to invite them is into a relationship where you can begin to build a friendship with them into your home for a meal. Then eventually, as the Holy Spirit works in their heart, you can invite them to come and to be a part of the life of Maple Park Church. Here's the big one, number four, why invite people? Well, we talked a lot about this, but I want to give one word. The why is love. You see, if our motivation to invite others is church growth or anything self-serving, we've missed the point. This isn't about getting people into the pews. This is about loving people. Because Jesus is risen for them. Because Jesus has a plan for creation. Because Jesus is sending us on a mission. The motivation is love. For God so loved the world, He sent. And He sends us too. And how do I start? Well, you start writing the name on a card. Start praying, start caring for the person, and then find ways that you can invite that person into relationship, into the community of our church, to a Bible study, whatever the Holy Spirit is leading you to do. We do this because Jesus is alive. He's alive for you. He has a plan for you, and he has a mission for you. Amen. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would move within our congregation through the power of your Spirit. That we would be motivated to be a people gathered, together, transformed by your Holy Spirit, and then also going in mission to an unbelieving world. Lay upon the hearts of every individual within this congregation one person, one person that they can start praying for, one person that we can pray for together as a congregation because we're in this mission together, one person that they can start showing care and concern towards, one person that they can invite to know you as Savior. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all of God's children say, Amen.